Our next guest describes himself as a mutilated man. Male circumcision on boys, he says, is an egregious act which should be criminalised and treated by Western countries as an illegal procedure, much in the same way that female circumcision is treated under most laws. John Adkison, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. I want to give you lots of opportunity to tell us about all the clinical concerns about male circumcision, but if it's all right with you, I'd like just to start framing your personal position first. Is that okay with you? Sure. You describe yourself as a mutilated man. Tell us why. Well, I didn't always feel this way. I only learned about it after I became a dad. And I was 35 years old at the time. And becoming a father, I I was presented with the question. And luckily, Intactivist gave us information that at least changed our minds. And we decided to keep our son intact and his brother later on as well. But I was still needed to know why. Why is this going on? Why is it happening? Did I did we really make the right decision? And the more that I researched, the more I found out that I have been suffering with several issues throughout my life, and I didn't realize that they were issues. I thought they were just normal. Do you know why you were circumcised? It was a thing to do back then. Um, I was born in the seventies, and Everyone was doing it. My, I actually talked to my parents about it, and they were like, well, that's really the only reason they did it. They didn't do it because of religion, even though they're Christians, but even Christians technically should be against it. Um, and I was born in the U.S. Navy, and it was pretty much a routine at that uh, time. So you actually took the time to sit with your parents and say, why did this happen? And they've told you it's because it was just what was done at the time. Did you have this conversation with them at the point of becoming a father or earlier? It was it was after I became a father and after I started researching it. And I didn't really go talk to them about it to get answers or complain. I did it because my brother was going to have a son. And I actually asked him to meet me at my parents' house. And I talked to all three of them at the same time, explaining the issues that I, issues that I had dealt with throughout my life because of it. And uh, and I was hoping that that would convince my brother to leave his son intact as well. Your father, your brother, both circumcised as well? Yes. So this is in the family. And this is for our international listeners. You're an American guest, right? Yes. I see it's very common in the United States. It's common in some other parts of the world, but particularly in the United States. What was the response that you got from your family when you sat with them and said, look, I've been doing this research and I, this is what I want you to know? I got, I got pretty much what I was expecting for the most part. My mother was apologetic and supportive of what I was saying. And my father, he was a little bit defensive, um, you know, I, Parents don't want to consider that they've made a mistake. And especially, I mean, the cognitive dissonance gets even deeper when you've been cut yourself. And don't imagine, don't think of yourself as mutilated yourself. So that's normal. And my youngest brother, he's um, he's quiet. He <laughs> rarely ever shares his personal opinions about anything. But he did listen. He sat there and listened through the whole thing. Did he take your advice? Was his son circumcised? I don't, I don't know. I still don't know to this day. Mm. So even within families, this is a hard topic to broach, right? That's what we're learning from this little episode in your own life. Oh, absolutely. When when it's something that's so entrenched 
in a culture um when you try to speak out against something that is so common in culture especially something like this uh you lose family members you lose friends you lose relationships and a lot of people even lose their jobs over this kind of thing sorry let me just recap there because that's a surprise to me are you saying you've lost some relationships out of this exploration that you're doing and this view that you and stance let's be honest a stance that you've taken several relationships Absolutely. Uh, in 2018, I, I, w- I struggled with the idea about speaking out about this because I knew that I would lose some relationships and I knew that I might even lose my, it would have an effect on my career. But I, I had met so many men that struggled with the trauma of this, of, you know, whether they learned about it or, or figured out that they were harmed early in life or later in life like i did they were you know frustrated with it and uh, unhappy and all that and i imagined myself meeting someone 15 16 17 18 years from that day uh, and you know someone that was born that day you know 15 16 17 18 years from that day and having that person say you know i'm not happy that that was done to me and i would need to be able to respond and say I understand, and I've been fighting to protect ones like you. I was fighting on the day you were born. Did it change your relationship with your father and your brother? I hardly ever talked to my brother at all. Um, I don't know that it, it's because of my stance on it. Uh, and I definitely think it changed my relationship with at least my father. Uh, I still talk to him, but we we avoid that subject, it seems. This is a bit speculative, and I apologize. Is is it because he feels that you've accused him of something? I don't know. He doesn't really say. He uh, he he knows that I do activism on this issue, and but he he used the terms agenda, like it's my agenda, hmm. um, instead of an attempt to educate people, like I was educated. I am very thankful for activists, and I think that I. You know, my conscience says I need to do the same thing that others did for me. Is it possible, John, that some people are just embarrassed, particularly within your family, that they have someone in the family who is talking about male genitalia so openly? It's possible. I don't know, though. They, I, I wish people would talk to me more about it. So tell us, what do you see when you look at your own penis? What do you see? I see that I'm missing something that I was given by Mother Nature. Is it hard for you to look at your own penis? Yes. Do you avoid looking at it? I not only avoid looking at it, I avoid the topic, honestly. Um, the only reason why I talk about the topic, it well, there's three reasons, but <laughs> my sons are one of the main reasons. I want to change the ideas around the intact male genitalia. Uh, a lot of people in cutting cultures have negative views on it that based on myths um, and maybe some personal experiences with you know men that don't take care of themselves properly. But there's women that don't take care of themselves properly either. So um, I think that's an unfair view. And the other reason is because I want to help protect parents from making 
the mistake that my wife and I were would have made, and I would have had a very I would still have a very hard time with that mistake today if I would have made that mistake. Otherwise, I don't I don't want to think about it. I really don't want to think about it at all because it affects my life severely. I I uh, and I know other men that I talked to they sink themselves into like work or whatever uh, to avoid thinking about it at all. You mentioned that it had caused you issues. Are you talking yeah. medical issues there? Well, I mean, I don't know how you define medical, but um, any good uh, structural engineer can look at the differences and see that there are obvious differences in how things work between the intact man and the man that is not intact, the man that's missing his prepuce. So let's delve into it. What what are the issues that you're talking about? Because I don't want to guess. I've got some circling okay. in my mind, and I'm happy to offer them to yeah. you. But be brave. You're here to talk about it. What, what are the issues that you've experienced for many years that you sure. finally, once you became a father, started to link to – your circumcision. Um, so, one of the one one of the first issues that I mean, one of the first medical issues was stenosis or meatitis. Not absolutely sure. I, I might have had both, or have both. Um, stenosis is the closing up of something. Right? Stenosis means that it's shrinking, right? or it has shrunk from what it's supposed to be. So. The meatus is the the end of the urinary tract, right? The head, the end of the glands, typically. It's the hole at the top of the penis, right? Exactly. Yes, where your urine comes out. Yep. Yep. Uh, So stenosis means that it's closed up a little bit near the end there, and it causes a little bit of burning when when it's that way because you're trying to push the same amount of fluid through a smaller hole than it should be. Um. But I also had a problem that I went that my grandmother took me to the doctor for, where I had like a little skin bridge across my meatus, where when I would uh, urinate, I would spray all over the place. And the doctor looked at it and said, like, "Oh yeah, you got this little skin bridge. Let me just cut it real quick." So it's it's kind of like a scar tissue thing. So because it's scar tissue, it doesn't have any nerves in it. So when he cut it, it I didn't really feel anything. Um, but it totally fixed the problem with the with the urination. I don't complain about that issue so much. I mean, it's irritating. I had to go to the doctor for this, and it's irritating that you know I made a mess for my grandmother <laughs> um, when urinating. But was it treatable? Oh yeah, he just he just did a quick. Well, the this little skin bridge thing. Yeah, just he, all he did was he, he took a scalpel and sliced it real quick, and that was that. I think that I still have a degree. Sorry, of I have to. Go, sorry, John, I have to go back to that. That was that. You can't glaze over that. You're a, you're a boy taken to the doctor by yeah. your grandmother, and the yeah. doctor has a look at your penis, sees a scar tissue essentially across yeah. your meatus, and mm-hmm. then takes out a scalpel. What was that like for a little boy? Well, I was I think I was six seven years old, and at that time I was completely trusting of of doctors. So I was like, okay, do what you need to do. Well, did it hurt? No, not 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 the not the not fixing of the. Okay. The skin bridge. No, again, it's it's scar tissue, so you don't really feel 
much. So I'm not to diminish any of the research that you're going to tell us about, and I promise I'm going to let you get there. It's just really important to contextualise things, John. Already I'm getting a really strong sense about why this is so important to you. But is it possible, after listening to you, that you're coming at this from the position of someone who might have had a botched circumcision and not a routine circumcision? Not necessarily. So when you define botch, uh, you think of something that you, you think of uh, tissue being cut that wasn't supposed to get cut or was was healthy, right? The whole thing is healthy. I, <laughs> the entire prep use when I was born was healthy. I didn't have a pathology. I was born male and being born male is not a diagnosis, right? But, but, so, but, sorry to, to bring you back though. Okay. So mm-hmm. before we get into the pros and cons of circumcision, which is fine, more than happy to have that conversation, but there are many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of men who've had circumcision that don't have the same issues. Like you, you had correct a short straw. You definitely had additional issues that don't come up for all circumcised men. Yeah. So with the male stenosis, it's um, it's been estimated that over ten percent of males that are cut at birth end up with male stenosis. Um, I imagine, though, that far more have occurred that just haven't been diagnosed or recognized. Because again, we're done. It's done to us as babies, so we don't have anything to compare with. So we don't know that something is wrong. That happened when you were six or seven. You went along to the doctor because. There was spray everywhere, and your grandma recognized there was an issue. But you said when you became a dad, a few pieces fell into place, that issues you'd been having were probably related to your circumcision. If you already knew about the issue at seven, what new issues did you suddenly become aware of or start to link? Yeah, so the prep use covers the glands, and um, even the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, said that it's there to protect the glands. I don't know why they took that away at, at later uh, dates, but so it protects the glands from the exterior stuff. It's not intended to be um, rubbing against clothing. It's not supposed to be out in the elements. It's, you know, it, you look at any mammal, almost every single mammal, the glands is covered and protected, and it only comes out during playtime right mm-hmm. um so the the skin gets rough and you can actually look at it underneath like you know a microscope or whatever and you can see the the difference in the skin on the glands between the intact and the not intact and there's you know a big degree of difference you know the skin is smooth and moist versus rough and dry okay so can I just reflect back to you what I think I'm hearing, that mm-hmm. at, until you started doing your research, you thought it might have been normal to be quite dry and possibly chafing and maybe ultra-sensitive? Are these yeah. the issues you were experiencing? Yes. Right. Okay. All right, we got there. It's interesting to me, John, Not I'm, I promise you I'm not having a go at you in any way, but you're, you're quite coy about a topic that you're so vocal about. Coy? Yeah, like there's been replies you've given me that would suggest that, yeah, I mean, maybe you're just trying to be polite, but not getting straight to the point and telling me what it is. Is it, is it an embarrassing topic for you still, even though you're passionate about this topic? Um, no, it's just that people can only 
people seem to only be able to take in so much of this at a time. So I, I address one piece at a time. Yeah. Um, so there's several issues from getting cut and people think that, okay, well, it's just a bit of skin and that's it. Right. It's not like, it, it, you know, yeah, there's several effects of not having that skin there. Just like if you were to take off the eyelid off of someone, there would be multiple effects. So there's multiple effects of this. Mm-hmm. There's so another effect for for me and for several other men I've talked about is scrotal webbing. The scrotum gets drawn up onto the the shaft of the penis because the skin that was supposed to be there to go down the penis isn't there anymore. So other skin has to make up for it on the other end. And what scrotal webbing exactly is it? An aesthetic thing? Where like, can you tell me what that is? So. If you look at a penis, there's the shaft skin, and then there's a pretty clear line where the shaft skin um, merges with the skin that goes down onto the scrotum. And it looks different. It's slightly different screen, uh, skin. Some is, you know, the skin on the that's supposed to be on the shaft is tight, tighter, right? And the skin that goes around your testes is very loose, right? And it, it flexes a lot, right? So if... If you've taken off so much skin from the penis and then it becomes like I'm a grower instead of a shower, it grows and it starts pulling up on that skin. It the the scrotum skin comes up with with it at the bottom end. So part of my penis is a large portion of my penis has scrotal skin on the shaft instead of it being down where it's supposed to be, and because of that scrotal webbing pulling up on the testes, sometimes when I have a, a powerfully enough of an erection, my testes get pulled up into my body and sometimes will push up into the inguinal canal and will get very uncomfortable. And at times, I have to stop um, sexual activity when that happens. Because of pain? Yeah, because the testes are, it's like, almost like getting kicked in the nuts, Right. <laughs> Right. But it's you know more slow, right? <laughs> and 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 consistent. If you're a medical person listening to, listening to this, please send us an email. Time to talk Australia at outlook.com. I'd love to know um, what you're thinking. Not about necessarily the circumcision versus no circumcision debate because we haven't got there yet, but just <laughs> about what John's going through because it certainly sounds like I totally understand the passion you have. Because something has gone wrong for you. That would be fair to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. You said earlier you avoid looking at your penis. Is it aesthetically not pleasing to look at? Or is this a psychological thing? You know, people will laugh at me. But yeah, it's aesthetically not pleasing to look at now that I know the anatomy and the functions of the prepuce. And now I look at intact men where I used to think, okay, that's a little weird. I mean, I only I don't only remember seeing one intact man. Um, he was older, you know, he was up there in age, and I just figured, oh, well, maybe his skin grew, kind of like you know, guys get long earlobes or big ears as they grow older. Maybe his skin just grew, and that's just what probably all happened to me too, right? No, he was intact, and uh, and I again, I thought it was weird. Maybe you know, a lot of people think of it as gross because it's not like everyone else and that's cultural conditioning right but now that i know i'm like wow mine looks ugly and those look great 
Does yours look like a typical circumcised penis, though, at least? Or have you got additional? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now, I, yeah, I mean, my, they call them mushroom heads. <laughs> my yep. glands is completely exposed pretty much all the time. Um, now, there are men that are, quote, circumcised that have variations. And we look at that. There's actually a, a measurement for this called coverage index. And you can have a coverage index of anywhere from zero to 10. If you have a 10, then you are your glands is fully covered when you're flaccid. I have zero. <laughs> Has anyone other than yourself ever negatively commented about the appearance of your penis? No. Okay. When you became a dad, when you started doing your research, something that looked possibly normal to you now looks ugly to the point where you can't look at it. Yeah. So what other psychological repercussions for you do you think? I think that I suffer with a certain degree of um, depression uh-huh. over it because I'm not living you know, the sexual life that I often wish that I could go back to being blissfully ignorant about this. How old are you, John? I am 53. And has it been the case that ever since you became sexually active, your medical issues, which is what they are, have interrupted your sex life? To a certain degree, yes. And specifically, that would be the issue with your testicles moving and causing pain during intercourse? That's only one issue. What else? So another issue I haven't covered yet is, so as as I was explaining how the skin draws up the scrotum during erections, the dorsal side of my penis is also um, causing issues because it gets really tight on that end. Sorry, can I interrupt again, John, which I have a bad habit of doing. I apologize. (laughs) I've been a man for a long time. What's the dorsal side of the penis? So think of, <laughs> Sounds like think, a dolphin. Well, think of a dolphin. So the, with a dolphin, you've got the fin on the top, right? Right. Okay, got yeah, it. And you okay. think of the glands as the head of the penis as the head of the dolphin. Some so, of us men never grow up. For me, that's <laughs> a, the, the top of my penis, the top. No, not the tip, the top. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's how educated yeah. I am. Sorry, continue, yeah, though. That's okay. Um so yeah, that's since that skin gets tight, it causes what I call craning. Um, for other men, uh, they might be t- cut too tight on one side or the other, and they'll end up with curvatures. Um, but for me, I get craning. So, like when I have strong erections, I can actually like flex my erection and hit my stomach. And I'm not a, I'm not a fat guy. I'm very skinny. So. Um, you know, standing up, I can make it hit my stomach. And uh, when I'm having erections, I can't do certain positions, sexual positions, um, without affecting my partner because of that curvature upward, that craning upward. I have to be uh, very close to my partner, usually um, face-to-face with my partner. <laughs> I can't, like, I can't do, like, a sideways or you know a 90 degree angle um during sexual activity and i assume you you were working all this out as a young man becoming sexually active pretty early on that that this was uncomfortable for sexual partners 
I didn't understand it. Um, I didn't understand why it was uncomfortable for them or me. I didn't understand. I didn't know that my testes being drawn up was an abnormal thing. <laughs> I mean, all this. Does it happen every time? So not, not now that I know what's going on and I, I, I kind of you know, mind over matter. I, I calm myself in a way so I don't allow my erections to get as big as they would. You know, I, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know how many people are going to believe what I'm saying there, but it's like, you know, you, you just have to mess with your brain a little bit. I mean, some people say, well, I'm going to think of dead cats in order to, you know, avoid premature ejaculation or whatever. Um, so I do something similar to that to reduce my erection so it's not so powerful i'm going to bestow upon you the title of mastermind anybody who can <laughs> control the strength of their, their erection i'm telling you you've got some strong mastermind happening there <laughs> thanks <laughs> who did your circumcision it, it was a navy hospital um, a navy I hospital not, yeah i do not know who did it um i've asked for records um but I haven't ever gotten anything. And for anyone in the United States, after like seven years, chances of you getting records is really slim to none anyways, because they don't have to keep them after seven years. So we have a really good baseline now about why John, our guest, is an advocate, a fierce advocate against circumcision. I think that there's acknowledgement in this conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, that you've definitely had additional issues on top of a, you know, what would be considered a typical circumcision. And I'm also hearing a hell of a lot of grief and loss around your penis. Is that fair? Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. So, John, I'm going to play you a clip that was broadcast just on a, a standard news station in the United States talking about a study that came out about circumcision. Trials in Africa have shown circumcision reduces the risk of heterosexually acquired HIV in men by at least 60%. Also, circumcised baby boys are 10 times less likely to have urinary tract infections. In addition, circumcised men are less likely to have penile cancer, while their female partners are less likely to suffer from cervical cancer. So, John, this sort of there's a lot of um, conflicting information, isn't there, about circumcision versus not being circumcised? It must be very hard for new, especially young parents. That sort of information you just heard there—that the rates of of HIV are lower, penile cancer are lower, but it's actually better for females. There's less bacterial infections, uh, less uh, cancer as well. I don't know why that would be, but I've seen that statistic as well. How do you respond when you hear all those pro-circumcision statistics? Well, there's lots of ways to respond, but one of the first ways I would respond is, would you cut off a body part just because there's a, you know, a good chance, you know, let's say a one in eight chance of that body part becoming a problem later on in life? But John, women, women do make that decision with their breasts at times. Yep, absolutely. As adults, mm -hmm. right? Not as babies. <laughs> so let's get this really clear before we go any further. You Do you really differentiate between the concept of, of child 
male circumcision versus adult because there's a lot of adult men you can even go on tiktok and lots of men talking about their circumcision experiences because they've had phismosis and other issues i don't think you're against that you call that therapeutic circumcision right so can you just tell us where you stand on all of this yeah so um i actually follow some forums about men choosing to do this kind of stuff and almost all cases is because they have some sort of pathology present. And phimosis is one, uh, recurring balanitis is another. And yeah, I could see, you know, maybe deciding to do it that way. But there's actually, let's just take phimosis for example. Most cases of phimosis are resolved without any kind of cutting at all. And even if you do need to cut, um, there's um, something called prepucioplasty, which doesn't actually remove the prepuce. It's just another kind of cutting that opens things up and releases the the tension that happens with the prepuce. You know uh, that's what that's what phimosis is. The prepuce gets too tight, so it won't come down and around the glands. Is your primary argument here that you're removing uh, a, a human being's right to choice here? Uh, that's one piece of it. You're also removing a valuable body part. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So um, we know through tests like the Sorrell study that the prepuce is uh, very sensitive to light touch. So you know you can think of it as being erogenous. Um, and then all the things that I mentioned bef- also uh, about how the male could be affected. Maybe the person that does the cutting doesn't cut as much as they cut off of me. And maybe they won't run into the same kind of problems that I have. But either way, um, I mean, they're talking about exposing the glands all the time. And that wasn't actually the original kind of circumcision, if you want to use that word, that was initiated in the Old Testament of the Bible. How far have you gone with your advocacy? I know that there was, um, maybe it's called a proposition around female circumcision, and you spoke at that wanting to extend that to males. How far has your advocacy gone? Oh, it's gone many, many ways and very deep. I've, uh, I, I have joined the Bloodstained Men on several protests. The Bloodstained um, Men. Yeah. It's and what a, is it's that a, protest exactly? So the name Bloodstained Men came from an outfit that was actually designed by or initiated by someone in, in Europe. But... Um, Brother K of the Blessing Men, along with Jonathan Conte and a couple others, decided to take that idea and make an organization called Bloodstained Men. And the Bloodstained Men often wears this outfit that's all white with a red, um, red paint around the on the crotch, um, in order to capture attention by the public. Do you have objection? Uh, to people who circumcise their sons on religious grounds, where do you stand on that? I don't. I don't think that supports the idea of religious freedom. Uh, I think that's the the worst kind of indoctrination you can do. It's one thing to be teaching your child about religions and uh, maybe pros and cons of it, or whatever you might believe yourself, but to actually take a religious belief and and cut it into someone's body is. I, personally, I, I'm, I have very strong feelings about that. 
Well, tell us about it. Judaism, obviously, in the United States and around the world, uh, very strong believers in circumcision. It's very ritualistic. Um, In fact, I heard from another guest sort of peripherally, completely by accident, only recently, that there was in, in some ceremonies the process of the person who does it sucks on the penis at the end of the procedure, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So that last part about the sucking is called or MBP for short. And the whole idea of that is to um, act like an anesthetic uh, to make it cure without you know getting infected, stuff like that. So I kind of understand why they're doing it. Um, and you want the blood to clot and all that so you don't um, – have continual bleeding after the procedure. The original kind didn't actually lay bare the glands. And I, when I say lay bare the glands, I'm actually quoting here. Um, that's something that came up in after Jesus, you know, after, you know, like 100 some AD, where the Jewish men were playing games, probably the equivalent of the Olympics these days, in the nude. And the Greeks and Romans, they believe that the exposure, having your glands exposed is kind of, I don't know, gross or whatever you want, whatever kind of word you want to use for it. So Jewish men were doing what we consider today foreskin restoration, where they were hanging weights off of the skin in order to stretch skin back over the the glands in order to hide the glands the rabbis and they call it the this is the rabbinical revision of quote circumcision or the brit milah and now it's called brit priya um (laughs) they decided to go lay bare the glands to keep or at least attempt to keep men from being able to do that restoration later on you're married, aren't you, John? Yes, I am. What does your wife think about all of this? Uh, she told me herself that she feels um, robbed <laughs> because she's not able to um, experience me with a whole tech. There are there are things that you can't do sexually because of your circumcision. Well, it's not just can't do but this affects um the sensations for the female as well um, now that's something uh, that a lot of people wouldn't know or naturally predict how does you not having a foreskin affect the pleasure for your female partner so there's some you can look up sex as nature intended it and they kind of demonstrate it a little bit but um, the skin, having the extra skin that allows, I shouldn't even call it extra skin, it's not extra, but having the skin there to move up and down your shaft uh, during coitus um, kind of helps keep things sealed and keep the moisture inside the vagina instead of drying it out. So um, when you're, quote, circumcised, when you're without your prep use, you don't have that. So you're drawing the moisture out into the air, and you're you might even be dragging um, a lot of moisture out with the coronal ridge of the glands, and therefore things dry up faster for the female, and then things can you know start chafing and get uncomfortable if you last too long. Have you ever sought 
medical intervention or done your own work to try to restore your foreskin? I, I've done some manual tugging, but honestly, the skin that I want to um, move or stretch is the shaft skin. I, I was cut with, I believe, with a Mogan clamp. So that cut more of my shaft skin and left behind a good bit of my inner mucosa skin and my, um, my frenulum area. Which I'm thankful for, honestly, because the frenulum and the intermucosa is very sensitive. Again, you can look at the Sorrell study to to see how this is explained. So I'm I'm thankful for that, and I'm also not thankful for the lack of um, shaft skin. It's kind of interesting. Um, Ron Lau, he's uh, the inventor of uh, TLC Tugger. Um, I actually got to meet him in person and hang out with him. At, uh, what the devil is the TLC Tugger? <laughs> Tender loving care. Sounds like tugging. a submarine. Right, yeah. Um, there's various things that you can hang or, or do to, to use the Tugger to, to try to stretch the skin. Uh, it's just one of the several tools available out there. I've joined um, a group in la los angeles california when i lived there for a few years and we talk about the different tools and different ways and who's been having success and who hasn't been having success and um sharing stories and you know and talk about how you know we're different uh, because it's not like one quote circumcision is the same for all of us uh that's a very bad misconception it's not like there's one procedure that with a you know, specific spot to cut or anything or a specific tool even. It's, there's several tools that they use to, to cut boys. Um, so I, the problem is for myself is, I mean, as it is, I'm, I'm emotionally stressed when I you know, deal with my penis at all, but trying to fix something that shouldn't have ever been broken in the first place just upsets me so much that I don't even want to go there. Honestly, John, what do you tell your boys? You've got two sons, as I understand it, and you had done your research and clearly made that decision not to have them circumcised in a in a culture in a country where it's common practice. Do you talk to them about this? They grew up with mom and dad being intactivists. <laughs> intactivists. Uh, so they- yeah. I love that. Activists for the intact body. Um, so they've seen and heard plenty of our discussions with people that defend the, the, the ritual. How old are they now? Uh, 18 and 17. My, my oldest actually even wrote an essay on the topic. <laughs> for school? Yes. Yeah. How did the school receive that? Um, they didn't say anything about the content. They just argued that you know, he didn't copy, direct, go by the directions completely because it was supposed to be directed at a specific audience. And it's like, well, this is a topic that needs to be sent to people. What would you consider specific? You know, it, it's a, it's a big audience. So, anyways, well, <clears throat> a lot of surveys in the United States that ask parents why they elected to get their sons circumcised simply state right at the top that the most frequently reported reason it's so that they fit in so that they're not different from the rest of their family and friends yeah and i really struggle with that idea because as a parent myself to me 
you're um, you're being their first bully by doing that, um, and you're teaching them to give in to bullies, um, and therefore you're also teaching them to be bullies. <laughs> you're yeah. not teaching them that consent matters, and that's not what we want to be teaching, especially in the United States where we know um, incidences of rape and um, sexual abuse and stuff are very very high compared to the rest of the world. Sorry, I'm just trying to compute that. Incidence of rape in your culture are high compared to the rest of the world. Did you make a link there between circumcision and rates mm-hmm. of rape? Yes. Okay, explain that one to me. There's actually a study. Um, I'm not remembering which country it's in. It was one of the Nordic countries where they found that of the men that were in jail for sexual violence, most of them were, quote, circumcised. And this is a country that they don't, quote, circumcise. <laughs> There's a stat that says that the majority of people who are imprisoned in a certain Scandinavian country for sexual assault are circumcised. That's yeah. just a raw piece of data. Is there yeah. any additional evidence that... Uh, unfortunately, not yet. Not at this point. There are... Um, psychological um, studies or research on this. Uh, Dr. Or Dr. Ron Goldman, PhD, he actually wrote a book called um, Circumcision, the Hidden Trauma. And he looks at all sorts of studies that have been done in history uh, about psychology and stuff and puts all the pieces together. And when you read the book, you kind of have to read the book from the beginning to the end. Otherwise, it won't make a lot of sense if you jump in the middle of it. Uh, and once you, once you do, it's like, wow, that really does make a lot of sense. And he's actually putting out another book um, pretty soon. He, he gave me a copy of it uh, pre-published. When does activism and advocacy become obsession? And have you ever pondered if you've crossed that line from doing good work to becoming totally preoccupied by it? Yes, I do ask that question of myself quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I would, I mean, of course, it's a passion. Um, I wouldn't, I would definitely say that. Whether it's an obsession or not, um, I managed to do a day job and do a well, do it well, and I'm lauded by my employer. Um, so it's not a total obsession. If I spoke to your family and friends, what might they say? I don't know. Good question. I, I, my, my wife said that um, she created a monster because she became the intactivist first. <laughs> I think I was still struggling with my own cognitive dissonance uh, when she was uh, trying to educate other people um, about the topic and I wasn't, I was sitting quietly, but during that time that I was sitting quietly, I was paying attention to the discussion and I was asking a lot of questions, um, in order to get through my own cognitive dissonance, because again, I'm cut. So the idea that I'm harmed was really hard for me to accept. Yeah. And I can hear that John and I, and I am really sorry, but also admire what you're trying to do with the information that you've found. You're trying to impart it. If you were president of the United States for the day and could make the rule, 
without having to pass it through that bizarre system you've got <laughs> over there. <laughs> what would you change? What would be the first thing you'd do? I think the first thing I would do is require that I would definitely require that medical professionals provide more information about the topic. Wow. It's interesting that you didn't say I'd criminalize it. I think that if people were properly informed, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Right. John, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for having me on. And by the way, if you don't mind, I'd like to give a shout out to two organizations that are in Australia. Of course. There's the Darbon Institute and there's the Foreskin Revolution Organization. If you send me those pieces of information, John, I'll make sure they're in the description under this conversation. Absolutely.